This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. calendar is turned the trade deadline is passed it is august the atlanta braves are in first place right where we like to be in august and in all the other months for that matter welcome again to another edition of behind the braves the official podcast of the first place atlanta braves i'm ricky mass from mlb.com alongside director of braves alumni relations greg mcmichael and greg it's just you and me today it's the ricky and greg show the harry and bubba show as it's been known <laughs> at times in the past and we figured today we would talk a little uh, little trade deadline because it just passed the braves made a number of moves a uh, number of moves that we both liked a lot. Um, so I thought we, you know, we could talk about that and also talk about your time as a player and some trade deadline memories. And as I understand it, you were once also traded at the trade deadline too, or in a trade deadline deal. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I a couple times. Oh, a couple times. A couple times at the trade deadline. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the. Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell exactly, you know, as you get older. Exactly. You have to go back and look and yeah. see what those dates were. Yeah. But I do remember coming off the – I was with the Mets, coming off the DL, and um, we had starting pitcher go down, and they were looking at Kenny Rogers. And, of course, I was coming off the DL. I'd had some tendonitis, that kind of thing. We had a really good bullpen. I mean, we had uh, – Guys like Turk Wendell and Dennis Cook. That's an all-time uh, Mel- great baseball name, by the way, Turk Wendell. Yeah, love that name. But yeah. anyways, go ahead. Turk's yeah. good, good people, and we had we had a really strong bullpen there uh, in New York for a while. And I know that we need a starter going down the stretch. We were uh, fighting, fighting it out, and we traded uh, to Oakland for Kenny Rogers and Jason Isringhausen, and I went to went to Oakland for that. But it was interesting, I was in um, I was in uh, Chicago with my wife and we were we went out to dinner and I was assured that I wasn't getting traded. So that's usually when you need to start to wonder, right? <laughs> <You're not> gonna, <laughs> Who assured you that you weren't getting traded? It was the GM, the GM yeah. Steve, Steve was Phillips, Steve Phillips. Yeah. okay. Yeah, oh, no, no, I said, well, I heard that, you know, because I asked him, I said, <clears throat> you know, I heard I might be traded and he's like, oh, no, 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 you're fine. You're doing good, you know, and whatever. Because I, I hadn't come off the DL. I said, well, am I going to come off the DL? And then you're just going to trade me as soon as I come off the DL. And he said, and he just assured me, no, that wasn't going to happen. So I pitched in, in Chicago, came off, pitched one game, and sure enough, uh, I was gone. But the interesting thing was this was like cell phones weren't really big. We still had the beepers and didn't have all the cell phone coverage. 
So Chicago's known for obviously a great town. Take your wife, go out to dinner, have a good time. And so Jennifer and I had come back from the game and she said, well, let's stop back in the hotel for a little bit before we got to dinner. So I come back and I sit down on the bed and turn on the TV and watching Sports Center, and sure enough, just just in, Gregory Michael and Jason Nisringhausen traded to the Oakland A's, and I went, oh crap! <laughs> I turned around in my phone in the hotel. That was when they had the little lights. Yeah, that you had blinked. the lights said you yeah, had a message. Yeah. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. right. That's when I turned around and saw that light blinking, and uh, and I called Steve, and he's like. I said, yeah, you need something to tell me? You got something to tell me? Since I just saw it on Sports Center, he's like, oh, man, sorry, I was trying to get to you before that happened. So, anyway, that's how we found out. And uh, a little damper on dinner, but wasn't too yeah. bad. Knowing I had to go to the West Coast now. Right. And uh, my, wife, my wife ended up going home. I have so many questions for this, for this trade deadline <laughs> stuff. Because okay. there's like, okay, how much were you actually... Let's, let me back up. I'll, I'll try to go in order here. Okay. So how much did you actually, like with Steve Phillips, how much player interaction was there with the GM at that time because I would I would almost think that a GM is probably for for many other reasons wanting to avoid the players a lot of time for that reason of like not wanting to be asked if uh, like if, if you know hey am I going to be traded or that sort yeah. of thing well I'll give you two scenarios so when I was with the Braves at one point when I came up in 93 I was the only rookie on the team right those guys have been in the World Series 91-92 and it was kind of a different role for me a different feel even though I became the closer you know in 94 93 94 and then set up guy after that my relationship with Mr. Sherholtz was not the same as maybe Tom Glavin or John Smoltz I was still I was still kind of viewed as a rookie, you know, the one of the younger players, even though I was basically the same age as those guys. I never saw Mr. Sherholtz come down very often to the locker room and just hang out. When I got to New York, I was coming in as a veteran. You know, we'd won a World Series. I was brought in as kind of a hired gun, and I was to set up John Franco and be a part of that real stout bullpen. Steve Phillips was a young GM. And so his role, just like Bobby Valentine's, was a lot different than Bobby Cox. Steve Phillips was there. You know, he was he was interacting with the He was a young guy. So he was more interactive, whereas Mr. Schultz, we kind of looked up. He was kind of a father figure, you know, older, a little bit older, even though I don't think he was that much older. But, you know, it was just a kind of a different feel. And he, he served a different uh, – took on a different role to the team, I think, than, than Steve Phillips did. So I think that it wasn't unusual for us to talk or, you know, therefore, you know, I was a veteran. Even though Steve didn't sign me, it was the GM before that. I signed a, a three-year deal with him. We still had a little bit different relationship. He came in, he was a young guy. So I think he dealt, he talked more with the players and it was in the locker room more than maybe, you know, definitely more than, than John Sherholtz was. I see. So did you give him a hard time for telling for him telling you that uh, that he wasn't going to trade you and then he immediately traded yeah, you? Yeah, I, I can't remember. I think he had a lot. I think he was a little in over his head okay. to begin with. I, I just knew that... Um, 
it wasn't going to change anything. Right. I, I wasn't trying to hammer anybody. I just looked at it as a good opportunity for me, even though I didn't really want to go to the West Coast. I'd already played for the Dodgers and then going over to the American League and and also being the Oakland Athletics. But they were still fighting for a wild card. So it wasn't like I was going to the Pittsburgh Pirates who were losing 100 games. I was going to a potentially contending team. It wasn't far out of it. So I was, I was still excited about that. So, okay, so you get the call that you're traded or the message in this, this, this or you sports get notified center. on Sports Center uh, in this Carl case. Carl Ravitch. Yeah, Carl Ravitch yeah. tells you you've been traded after you get home for, for dinner or back for dinner in the hotel. So then what happens? Like, I'm just more, I guess I'm just fascinated by the kind of the the specifics or the details of it. It's like, okay, what happens for it? Like, does the new team then reach out to you immediately? And, and how does travel arrange? And how, how long do you have to get there? Because obviously they've traded for you at the trade deadline. You are a need that they've identified for them to hopefully make it to the postseason or for that second half push. So they're going to want you there as soon as you can. But you're in Chicago with Wyatt, your wife, you got family. You got, I mean, it, it, all these different moving parts. So how does all of that work then? How do you get there? Yeah, so... Then you get a call from Fred Stone, a guy like John Holland, whoever's running the clubhouse. They've already been notified. They've already packed up your stuff. Uh, they've already taken care of a flight. They're, obviously, the A's want you there ASAP the next day. You've got a. They send you the the phone number for the the traveling secretary for the Oakland Athletics. You call them immediately. Hey, when can I, I? I need to fly out of New York. I need to fly out of Chicago. So basically, what you do is you just you say, "Honey, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna depend on you a lot right here." So she's got to coordinate packing up the house in New York. So that's where you might call. I think I called my dad and flew my dad up to New York to meet my wife and help, you know, pack up the house. Somebody's got to drive it back down or. Because uh, you know you're, you've got kids. You're living in a in a different place. You got a second home, and you now have to coordinate logistics. But you you got to go concentrate on playing. So that's where your wife is. She's really got to take charge of that. And Jennifer was great, and and wasn't something unusual. Because remember, there was I moved five times in the minor leagues one year. And then I was traded from Atlanta to New York. I was traded from New York to L.A., back from L.A. to New York, and then from New York to Oakland. So you're, you're used to that kind of – I think the first time it happens, you're a little in shock. But I think after that, you pretty much know the drill and, and you can you try to figure it out. But the teams talk. You, the really, your traveling secretary for the new team is going to coordinate everything for you. Okay, when can you get here? The manager wants you here. So it, it's not that complicated. The hard part is for the families to now pick up the pieces, move back home. And in some cases, they're now moving out there with you. But, that's, but typically, that doesn't happen. So I actually lived with Doug Jones who was a friend of mine who was a longtime closer for the Indians and was a setup guy for Billy Taylor out there in uh, in Oakland. And he was closing some. And so I actually lived with him for the last two months of the season. And my wife never came back. Never came out. Yeah. Well, that'd be something if she never came back. Like, here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I've she met her, probably so I, wanted <laughs> I've met her, so I know she's still around. She <laughs> came back right. eventually. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I was on probation for a little while. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, right. she she had had she had had plenty of the minor league. Of course, in the minor leagues, you do all the moving, but you have no money to move. Right. So yeah. I mean, I'm like literally. I remember driving from my dad's telling me this story. They're driving back from Ohio through West Virginia, and clothes blew out. The, we couldn't find some clothes that we had. Oh, no. Like they must have blown out in West Virginia. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> they flew out up there, Mark Bowman's I, we hometown. Don't, we don't yeah. know where that shirt went. It must have blown out in the move. <laughs> it's somewhere outside. Had an El Camino, had an El Camino with a tarp over the back. Now that is minor league living right there. You had an El Camino with clothes flying out the back, went through West Virginia, stacked up in the front seat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, so yeah, the minor leagues prepare you for the big leagues in more ways than one. Even still, though, I would think like the. And don't get me wrong, I don't think anybody's going to feel bad for somebody that plays in the big leagues, nor no. should they. Uh, but there is a little less glamorous side of it, especially when you... It's one thing I would think, if you're a single guy, and the worst thing you got to like... Not worst thing, but the most complicated thing you have to think about is like, okay, how do I get my dog from... Uh, you know, I don't know, how they're, they're playing in Kansas City... It's a New York team playing in Kansas City, and they've been traded to you know Arizona. It's like the coordinating that. Yeah. But if it's your family and a wife, and especially if you got kids, I sure. mean that's that's not always that's not like a, just an easy easy thing. And that's that's yeah. Although well, I, I guess with you, like in your case, like you had that support system is there, so it does make it easier for you. But still, with with family involved, that's right. It's there's not that's not always glamorous in that way. Yeah, and stress knows no um, you know socioeconomic. Status or whatever, whatever your job is, there's stress related to that. And as a big league player, um, that is a that is a type of stress. You know, the media is a a type of stress. The travel, and then um, you know, it's like I tell people all the time. I don't care if you're staying at Motel Six or if you're staying at the Ritz. At at some point, travel just becomes travel. There's not. There's no. It's not glamorous. And anytime you have to coordinate moves and logistics in the middle of also trying to do your job, it, it it's just it's just stressful. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think any any of these guys want anybody to feel sorry for them. Or it's just part of the job. Yeah, just like what you sign up for. There's plenty of things. It's like having to confront the media after you just blew, you know, a save, and you just got just like you know Shane Green after. Being over here for three games, he's pitching three games. He's not pitched that great, and having to come in and feel like you have to justify, um, okay, you're supposed to be the stud coming in, and all of a sudden now you're not pitching like you, your bubblegum card said you were pitching. You know that's just stress. Right. It doesn't mean that um, you know that you should feel sorry for him. It just means that that's stressful for him making the move. And as well as any of the guys that, that have to move at the deadline. Yeah, I was thinking that when he came in, when Shane came in for his first appearance on, uh, I believe it was the Saturday night game against Cincinnati here at SunTrust Park. You know, all the lights went down. They played this awesome closer. You know, the music and entrance. And really, in my opinion, and this isn't me being a homer on that first game, I don't think he even pitched all that badly. There was really only one ball that was hit very hard against him. He just a little bit of bad luck came into play there, and you know that that happens. But I, but I still had to think that has to be. You want to make such a good impression. They brought you here for a reason to be the guy in the ninth. Yeah. And then, you know, things didn't go quite the way you want them to the first night. So then you come back to the very next day. And I would think then you're really, and this is me, you, you obviously can tell me where I'm wrong here. I'm trying to get in the mind of what that's, or the mind of what that's like to have to do this. 
So then you're thinking, okay, the next time I, I want to get right back out there and I want to I want to show everybody. And so you do get that chance the next day, and then it doesn't go well again. I guess I'm thinking you're putting so much pressure and stress on yourself that it's that's got to be part of it. When you get moved at the deadline, go to the new team. You want to impress everybody. You want to show up, and it can be. The stress can maybe be a little, it can just get to you a little bit at the beginning, I would think. Yeah, I don't think there's any person alive that doesn't want to make a good first impression. Sure. But when you look at Melanson and you look at Martin and you look at Green, you look at their stuff. And I've just, just been purely watching them as pitchers. Melanson has pitched the best. I mean, that dude has, has thrown some beautiful pitches. His cutter, he throws cutters every time. They, they at least all look like it. They're different speeds. They're different, you know, fastball. Maybe some are four-seamers. But, man, he is dotting it up. He is executing beautifully. Um, Shane and Chris, uh, Chris have just made a couple bad pitches, you know. But they've also pitched well. It's right. like Shane, Shane's gone one, two, one, two, one, two. And then all of a sudden – he gives up two out hits, two out home run, so it doesn't look as good. But I don't think anybody's questioning that this guy has got the stuff. It's different if you came in, you start walking two or three guys, and then you give up a boot single, and then you give up a blast. But no, I mean, they're making their pitches. They've just hung a couple pitches. And, and let's keep in mind, the Minnesota Twins and the Cincinnati Reds are legitimate hitting teams. Obviously, the, ten, the Twins are really, really good. The Twins are in their very ballpark. good, man. Oh, my gosh. They are, guys that, are, is, that is a really, really good yes. team. There's a reason their record is what it is. Well, and, yeah, the amount of balls, you're going to give up home runs there. That's why, you know, the Braves, being a better team, are going to hit and score 11 runs. Now, we should have won, um, you know, I feel like that we should win every game because we know what kind of team we have. So I think that bullpen, those three guys are settling that bullpen down for the long haul. So we've got August, September, October. Those three guys are going to impact um, this team in a very positive way, even though it's it's been questionable they've impacted it, you know, the last four or five games. But I'm not concerned about them. Just watching their stuff, watching how they pitch, how they go about their business, they're attacking the zone. If you can ask anything of your relievers, it's just attack the zone because you're in there for a reason. But if you attack the zone, you're going to win way more than you're going to lose. The worst thing a reliever can do is come into the ball game and go 2-0, 3-1, and then give up a hit. 2-1, 3-1, give up a hit. 1-0. I mean, that's that's the thing that wears you out. You know that long term, there's nowhere to go with that. But if you're coming in 0-1, 1-2, and you give up some hits, I'm not worried about it because their stuff has proven that they're going to be successful. Just stay aggressive, do your job, come in the game, and make your pitches. They're going to figure out, they're not going to hang, keep hanging pitches. So I'm not worried about that. So that's been a very positive thing for me to see them. I like how they pitch. They're they're throwing the ball extremely well. We're not going to be playing the Minnesota Twins every time in, you know, in Minnesota. Right. So those guys are so comfortable at their ballpark. They've hit a gob of home runs. That's going to change. We're going to go through. Those guys will iron it out, and we're going to be in good shape. Yeah, and that was I was talking with somebody after the after Shane's first or second appearance, and they were. Uh, bless their heart. They were the the sky is falling. Why did we trade for this guy? That kind of stuff. And I'm like, listen, put you Luke got, back in yeah, there. Yeah, I'm like, listen, you got to calm down here because this is like you got to look at his look at his numbers. Like this, this is 
just you, got, you know, you don't, the sky's not falling. Basically, yeah. you got to chill out a little bit. It's it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's the Twitter syndrome. And, well, I do spend a lot of time <laughs> yeah, there. That's so right. I was thinking back. Actually, my first day on this job back in 2015, uh, I made a mistake. That was it was it was it was pretty bad for, and for what I do. I'm not gonna tell everybody what it was here because I don't want y'all to go back and find it. But it was bad enough. But thankfully, after some time went by and I got comfortable in the ro- the role, it's something that now the folks I work with here with the Braves we all joke about now, and they'll still give me a hard time playfully about it because it just of how bad this particular scenario on my very first day went. Um, and I can't sit here and compare what I do to, to an ath- what an athlete does, but I guess I'm looking at it more from like first day on the job. I wanted so badly to do well that I tried way. I literally tried way too hard and ultimately made a big mistake as for, as for trying too hard. And I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's some comparison there that it can just you you want to make such a good first impression that things can you put too much pressure on yourself and things things go awry. Well, and it's I, like expectations. What if you just said, you know, my first day I'm going to give up a grand slam and then I'm going to trip and fall as I'm coming off the mound <laughs> yeah. and then I'm going to I'm going to fall in the dugout and bump my head on the on the <laughs> bat rack. I mean, if you laid out those expectations and you went out there and gave up one run and and had a I mean, you'd be totally excited right? you're walking off field with your head held high that's, that's right, right yeah. i think a lot of times we walk in and say all right i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna strike out the side and get the save and everybody's gonna love me and all the reporters are gonna come up i think we set ourselves up for that uh, a lot of times but you know it's hard not to i think we all and i've told i've told plenty of people this there's something about a professional athlete who especially you look at our team we've got a lot of top-notch guys you want to be like Ronald Acuna. You want to set the bar. You know, you want to be like Dallas Keuchel, former Cy Young Award winner. You want to be. You want to be the com, be compared to the best. That's what makes you really, really good, right? That competitiveness in you. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have that mentality that you think you're going to strike out the side every time. You're going to get the save every time. You're going to get the game-winning hit. You're going to get the home run. I can see it in the hitter's eyes. Every time a game's on the line, somebody wants to be up there at the plate so they can have the Gatorade dumped on them, so they can jump around on the field and have dirt thrown in their hair. There's guys on that bench that they want to be put in that situation. If they didn't, then they probably wouldn't be where they are. Right. But but there's something wrong with that too because it kind of it sets you up for failure and and because you can't be that way every time. But yet you strive for that, you want that to happen. So there it's kind of a weird it's dynamic. A blessing and a curse. Yeah, it is. Right. It is. So cuz it can make you extremely um, you know Bipolar. Yeah, it can, I, it's like you need that mindset to be able to do that job at that level, but it's there is a 100% chance that it's going to set you up for failure at times also, and it's just like, okay, you just have to be able to accept that and deal with it when it happens. That makes sense. I mean, it makes complete sense to me. I think that that's a I, – I feel like that, that mindset is – standard across the board for all professional athletes of every discipline every sport i feel like they all they have you have to have that mindset because i don't think you can make it there certainly even if you make it there you certainly won't last or sustain a career there if you don't have that mindset i guess i look at it from growing up around race car drivers my whole life i think every single one of them regardless of the car that they're in 
think that they're the best guy out there and that's how they got to there if they get to the top level or one of the top levels i think that that's their mindset and i feel like it's the same with baseball players or football players or basketball whatever i feel like it's that you have to have that mindset I, I am curious. So when you got traded at the the deadline, what was that like when you landed with the new team? I mean, from what you remember, uh, what was your? Did you put extra? Do you remember putting extra stress on yourself going to a new team? Or not really. I'm sure I did. Part of part of my issue was being moved to Oakland. So I was still hurt. I ended up having surgery at the end of the season. I was just trying to hide it as long as possible because I was going into a free agency year. So I was just going to go have surgery and and come back and not make a big deal about it. Uh, hindsight, I should have probably just walked off the field and not tried to you know gut it out for the last two months. I came off the DL just because as an athlete you want to compete. You're tired of being on the DL. You want to go out there and pitch, and you think you can you can work your way through it, which I'd had had done in other instances. I'd worked through tendonitis <clears throat> my first year with the Mets in in '97, and you know with the Braves you're always working through something. Nobody feels 100% all the time, so you're always deciding: Am I really hurt? Is this something I can work through? So I was at that. I was kind of with that stage when I moved to Oakland. So I was probably more concerned about my health as opposed to really worried about a first impression. That's not a place I wanted to sign long term. That was not a place I wanted them to renew a contract. So I was just trying to finish out the season strong to show that I was healthy, even though I wasn't, and then go have probably check get my arm checked out or just take the off season to to rest and recuperate from from being, you know, having tendonitis. It ended up I did have a tear, it wasn't just tendonitis. And um, so, yeah, I'm sure there was part of me. Now, when I, because I'd gone to New York, you know, I signed as a, I got traded up there and then signed a long-term deal. So I wanted to make a good first impression because it's New York. I mean, you can get buried. You can either be the toast of the town or you can be the goat, you know. So, so it's really a tough place to be. I had a really good first year, really good um, in 97. And, and that kind of set the stage for, for pitching up there. I pitched pretty well in New York, but it is hard because when you have not only new teammates, but you've got fans, you've got the press, you're trying to win them all over and uh, win them all over. And the reason why you want to do so well is because you want to prove that, you know, this is the right, this was the right move. The team that traded you, that was their mistake. The team that traded for you, that was the right move. And then you just want a kind of new new beginning. So there's a lot of different things going on with that. But I don't think you can keep from that happening. Right. I think it's just human nature. Sure. You want people to like you. You want, uh, you want to do your job extremely well. Sometimes that internal drive is enough. You don't focus as much on the external things like, okay, I want these fans to like me because you're too busy worried about, okay, I think I should strike everybody out and I'm going to go out there and do my job and you're intent on that. And maybe on down the line, you you think about what everybody else thinks about you, but it's probably not the first thing. Right. Well, I can say this. I am very excited to have Chris Martin here for the rest of this season. I'm very excited to have Shane Green and Mark Melanson here through next season. And I think we all should be excited for that. And Look, regardless of how it turns out, the front office looked at the trade deadline and said, okay, what can we do to make this ball club better? And they did a heck of a job, I think, with the market that was out there. They went and got three guys uh, to dr- dramatically improve the, the bullpen. So kudos to them for that and didn't give up. 
any of the top prospects anyways. If you're looking at all the rankings and lists, none of the top guys. I think there's some. they definitely gave up some talent, but uh, they still managed to preserve the top of the list guys, which, by the way, the the top few guys have all just gone to Gwinnett, have been moved up to Gwinnett. Ian Anderson, Christian Pache, and Drew Waters. Depending on how different people, I think most lists have Pache as number one on the list. But those are seem to be the top three agreed upon in whatever order they are. And they're all now at Gwinnett. So that's going to be fun watching those guys. I think that, I don't quote me on this. I'm just, uh, I believe I saw this last night. And then in Waters and Pache's first game, I think they went like a combined five for ten Jeez. or something like that. Uh, I believe I saw that. If I'm wrong, I, it's, I, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure that that was uh, what I saw last night. So. I think they're wanting to be up here in September. I, I think they want a September call-up. That's that's. Uh, I think that's the, that seems to be the case, doesn't it's pretty it? Pretty common yeah. these days. Mm-hmm. They bring up, they want to check them out, see how they respond. To I like that too. I like especially young guy like whether they're going to be whether you're going to be making a push for the postseason and whether they're even being considered for something like that or not. I like that idea of giving a guy the, the taste of it and just getting the, the debut and getting all the newness out of the way. I mean, I mean, it's it's fine if you want to wait till the next year, but I, I don't know. I kind of like that. I like that uh, that thought that idea of giving a guy a taste in the in the majors in, in September. So, well, and if they've earned it, I mean, if they yeah, they earned it, yeah, of course. I, I think part of the issue nowadays is that we bring guys up too early. I don't think they get seasons enough in the minor leagues. That's kind of the only. The only issue I have with it, especially for pitchers, we're expecting them to learn at the big league level what they should have learned in the minor leagues. And I think we saw some of that with Sean Newcomb. I think Sean was was walking too many guys as he moved through the minor league system, and he was throwing 90% fastballs. So really the only thing I think that that I see with part of that from a pitching standpoint is there's a certain amount of time it takes to you, for you to know yourself, for you to know how to pitch, to be able to expect a young kid to come up and throw four pitches in the big leagues and execute all of them when they've not done that in the minor leagues is a little bit unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So, so part of the problem, I, you know, from a hitting standpoint, I guess you could. I, I never was a big league hitter, even though I do have two hits in the big leagues. Do I you? was not a big league hitter, oh. so I can't tell you the how tough an adjustment it is for a, a young kid to come up and start hitting off guys like Dallas Keuchel. But from a from a pitcher, I know that I was way prepared to come up and face big league hitters because I I duped it out in the minor leagues to figure out what I needed to do to be successful. A lot of these young kids, they don't they don't have a clue. They're just coming up, and it's just pure stuff, and they're having to figure it out up here, and I think that's really a lot more difficult. Sure. So I would hope, I, I was hoping that some of these guys, would we would kind of slow the roll on a little bit because we have an established team, and maybe that's the difference, is that when I was coming up, the Atlanta Braves were established top-notch team with solid positions everywhere, and they didn't need as many people because they already had established roles. Whereas, you know, there was some point over the last five years, six years for the Atlanta Braves now, that it was basically a tryout because we weren't doing very well. So we're looking at all this young talent to come up and figure it out. I think that's changing now because we do have established young guys in the big leagues that are grabbing a hold of roles that we don't need to have guys come up and do the same thing that we that we have done over the last five or six years, maybe that's the difference. And I'm not could, quite I th- sure. I think that that's. Uh, I think that's a great point. I think that is. The, I think that at least with our team and this particular team, I think that is the big difference because you're v- you're very right at 
certainly in 2015 and 2016, I mean, it, it was, uh, I don't want to say they were looking for warm bodies at the time, but when <laughs> things aren't going well and you're trying to find sure. somebody that can just, that can fill a spot, it's like, yeah, well, who's let's gonna look, step up. Let's, so let's look in the minors. Like, let's, let's give this guy a shot right. who may be otherwise on a contending big league team. Maybe they don't get a shot. Yeah. So what's, what's pretty amazing about the stats that we've been hearing about on TV and on the radio is that the first four positions in our rotation, pretty solid. That fifth spot has been a revolving door because they've not found anybody that's grabbed a hold of it and said, that's my spot. Mm-hmm. You know, we gave Gosman a chance. We gave, we gave Bryce a chance. Now, now um, Fultonavich has a chance. And, and those guys, if they can fill that spot and say, no, this spot's mine, then you're going to keep them there. So that's been a little bit of a revolving door. But over the years, you know, the last five or six years, it was like four spots were, were like that, yeah, except at, for maybe Fultonavich. It, it felt say, like it. I was going to say, back in time, at times in 15 and 16, it was, it was Julio. And then, all right, let's 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 go. Yeah, I mean, there was minor, a there was a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Mike Miner, you, know, you know, Matt Whistler, right. Aaron Blair, Fulte. Now, Fulte established himself, but I'm, I think I'm kind of going back to the beginning of like 2015 here, and that was the opening day. Rota- let's see, that was the rotation of like Tehran, Trevor Cahill, Eric Stoltz. I think um, y'all get the point. You get the point, right? So. So yeah, that but um, but if the fifth spot is the one in the rotation where we're just like okay, that's at this point in the season, that's the only one where we need somebody to grab a hold of it. Um, then I'm okay with that, and I think that uh, Fulty, you know, look, he as we're recording this, he made his first start back last night against the Twins. What do I mean? I, I've he looked better than the last time we saw him in the yeah. big leagues. I'll take opinion. five of those. Yeah, give me five of those. Um, if that's the worst he does. I, oh, that's yeah. better than yeah. than we've had yeah. in the fifth spot. Yeah. I know he can pitch better. Remember, he was also facing the Minnesota Twins in Minnesota. Right. So if he was facing uh, the Marlins, that might have been five five or six shutout innings. Mm-hmm. If he was facing the uh, New York Mets, it might have been two runs. Right. You know. So I, I think that if that's the worst he does, and to me, I didn't think he pitched that great. But his stuff is so good because he was locating it enough. Then he gave up three runs to a very talented team. So that was a good sign for me. I think he can do more. I think he can do six six innings we've and two runs. We've seen him do more in the past. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But way more. compared to what he was doing at sure. the beginning of the season, we saw a couple pitches: 99, 98, 97, as opposed to 92, 93, 94. That's a good sign for him because psychologically, he can look up there on the board and see 99 that makes him feel better right he knows that gives him some confidence because if you because you've pitched that way for a while and then all of a sudden you see 92 and now you're trying to make it 99 it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. so whatever was going on with him whether it was physically or mentally or a combination of both that had to make him feel better and we saw some good sliders even though there, there were some cement mixers which are those backup sliders that just look like they're supposed to do something, but they don't. Those are great pitches, but um, there were some of those, but then there were some really good sliders too that I thought were change-ups because they just dropped straight down, but they were they were sliders. Right. So I, I thought that was a good sign for us because if we have him over the next two months and he can build on that performance and his attitude was pretty decent, then I think we're, we're – 
well on our way to being uh, a better team. Absolutely. If he can kind of get back to being somewhat the, of the 2018 version of Fulte, the all-star, the guy that made the all-star team last year, mm -hmm. then we will gladly take that. That's yep. for sure. Confidence is a funny thing. Yeah. If he starts is. getting some confidence, he'll be right back to where he was. Yeah. I was in all our best to Kevin Gosman, by the way, in Cincinnati. We talk about trade deadline deals. He was a trade deadline deal for us last year. And if you don't remember, he was a, if, for those of you listening, if you don't remember, he was a part of that division title team. He came in at least for a month after the deadline. He was lights out for a month, pitched great. When we needed another starter to be lights out for, for a stretch there, he did it. And so wishing him all the best in Cincinnati. Hopefully he can kind of. And remember, they made a couple tweaks with him. They just said, well, you need to pitch out of the stretch the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when so I'm he came sure over, they talked that's right. about his his pitch selection. They probably talked about the ratio of how many splits versus how many fastballs he was throwing. They put him into the stretch. That seemed to click with him, and then he was a much. Of course, that that may all be true, but just the fact you went from the Orioles to the Braves and you had a chance to be from last place to first place psychologically, that's huge. Sure. So whether the other stuff really mattered, I don't know. But just if you just took that one factor mm -hmm. and you made it, he could have been making great pitches in Baltimore, but because maybe the defense was no good and maybe you were already down, you know, that you know your team was not going to score any runs right. and you had to be perfect, that makes a huge difference. So now you come to a team that you can got you have good defense, you know they're going to score five or six runs. That relaxes you and then the team tells you, well, if you just make a couple adjustments here, you're going to be better. All that stuff works. He's lights out. Right. So why that wasn't working for him this year, and, and I, I, we don't really know, but we do wish him all the best. And he did uh, help us win that division title last year. I did go back and I was looking at trade deadline deals that the Braves have made throughout the years. And I think that I don't want to go through like a whole list or anything, but I, I believe that the consensus number one overall uh, best trade deadline deal the Braves have made would be uh, the trade in 93, your rookie season, to get Fred McGriff. It was July 18th, 1993. Uh, do you, let's see, we actually talked about this when we had Mr. Sherholtz on a couple weeks ago on Behind the Braves. And he was trying to remember off the top of his head, you know, some of the, the guys that he traded. And he said, well, it was minor leaguers, which if you're somebody like that, I don't know how you remember. Well, no, one no of them was can... a serious big leaguer. Okay. He was a minor leaguer at the time. He was a former teammate, Melvin right. Nieves. Right. Went on to play in Detroit, was a pretty big power hitter. Right. right. I know he hit one about 500 feet off me and in <laughs> San Diego. I hung him a, a change up and he was a big boy. Was he a, I'm trying to remember if he was a, uh, I feel like, was he a, a high draft pick? Yeah. He was, he, a, was the, he, he was the big prospect was a, in that trade, right? Oh, yeah. He, I think we, we signed him out of Puerto Rico at 17 or 18 years old. And, okay. That's but he wasn't was. a draft pick. So he was yeah, international Back then, signing. Javi Lopez, Melvin Nieves, those guys were signed um, as you know free agents. Right, right. Yeah, okay. My, my mistake on that. But he got he got a lot of money. Just like, I, I don't know if he was right before Javi or right after Javi or at the same time. But they I remember us being in Durham and Melvin was hurt. And Javi was my catcher, and there was a little competition between those two because, you know, they they were both you know, big pro, big time prospects. Mm -hmm. Well, the trade was so Melvin Nieves outfielder, and then Donnie Elliott, Donnie was a pitcher, Elliott and Vince Moore an outfielder. So, and by the way, we don't talk about this, but in. Um, but those guys right there, of course, you always want to say, well, what was the return on, 
you know, this guy, even though I don't know about Donnie and Vince, but I know Melvin went on to play in the big leagues for, for four or five years. Right. But I agree, that, that 93. But when I look at kind of the trade, the trades over the 80s and the 90s, I didn't go back to the 70s. I didn't go to the 2000s. Yeah, I, I just either. took a kind of a brief snapshot. It typically was about relievers. Mm-hmm. It was about bench players. I, outside of Fred McGriff, I mean, that was kind of in July, and that was a big uh, – San Diego. I don't know if people remember at the time, San Diego was having another fire sale. Right. It's kind of like what the Marlins would do. San Diego was having – They sold just about sale. everybody but, like, Tony Gwynn. Yeah, and they kept – Tony was guys, their right? deal. As as which as as that's always the right call keeping Tony Gwynn. It's amazing how many times Alejandro Pena's name came up, Luis Polonia a couple times, some bench players which made impact on our '95 season. But but in um, but I did just thought it was interesting when I was looking at the transactions that in the year um, what was it in 19 um, I think it was in 1993 yeah I think it was in '93 the same year. That was the year we signed Andrew Jones. Really? Oh, okay. Out of Curacao. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of one of those things. Wouldn't have moved, but who would have thought that that would be in the signing that would impact this organization for years to come? But that also happened around that time that we got Fred in 1993. How was, do you remember much, because like it's pre-social media days, you talked about, you know, the days of having beepers before we all had cell phones and everything, uh, and the blinking light in the hotel room. Um, Were there, would you hear rumors like in the clubhouse or out and about about trade rumors, especially as the trade deadline got closer? Yeah, because the reporters are all in there and they're trying to stir it up. Okay. And they're coming up, hey, did, did you know we just heard that you might be traded? What do you think about that? And you're like going, okay, <laughs> it's kind of like the gotcha question. I mean, there's no, there's nothing you can say about that. It's yeah. just no, a no-win situation. You're not going to go off on the front office because you don't. It's a rumor. Right. I mean, Peter Gammons would talk about it on Sports Center, and so you would hear it after games, but you didn't have this 24 hours a day. Twitter, you know, Gammons wasn't on Twitter. Now I can't remember all the, the other guys who were on there with ESPN, but. But thank God we didn't have that. It was bad enough right. that before the game, the, the media's in the locker room before the game, the media's in the locker room after the game. You go home, listen to it on Sports Center. So it was starting to be that way. <clears throat> so we had all these beat writers. And then, of course, in New York, multiply that times five. Sure. Atlanta, there might have been two or three guys with a bunch of um, kind of surrounding areas. But then you go to New York and it's really bad because they're all trying to get an inside scoop. But that was hard because you, you didn't want to respond to that because you didn't know if it was true. Yeah. And it just send you into a tailspin. And you just you drive yourself crazy. Well, yeah, yeah, now you have to go out there and pitch thinking. Yeah. And, and I thought about Denny Nagel, which was a big trade deadline move for us in 1996. And he was pitching for the Pirates and then the, in Atlanta. And the next day he walks over and he's on our clubhouse. Right. He's on our team. I mean, so how weird. weird was he? That's <laughs> so weird. How weird was that? And he talks about it. And of course, Denny's funny. Well, at least his, his conversation with the traveling secretaries had to be pretty easy. It's like, well, just, <laughs> just roll it over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But think about the but history. No, I'm teasing, At 91-92 yeah. sure. and how we beat the Pirates. And then, you know, 1993, uh, I mean, there's just a, the history of, of play, you know, battling out with the Pirates. And now you're going over to your kind of your arch nemesis. Yeah. yeah, I would say Pittsburgh, people in Pittsburgh, Sid tells me, are still bitter yeah, about, sure. about sure him. Are. You know, being a Pittsburgh guy and then going over to the Braves and, and having 
the big slide. Yeah, that's 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 how the old cookie and he crumbles lives up there. And yeah. he lives up there, right? Yeah, that's, 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 that's tough. That's how it's that's, tough. you know. That's how it all shakes out sometimes. All right. Well, last thing for me before we get wrapped up here, I have to ask: You have two major league hits. So, who were they off of? Were they both singles? And did you keep the ball from the first hit? I do have the ball. Okay. Uh, I think it was Rene Rocha. Okay. He was with the Giants at the time. Okay. Was it? No. Was it? I mean, was it a rocket shot? Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. The funny. The funny thing is about about me. Of course, I don't know. We may have talked about this. We've talked about my history of knee problems. Mm-hmm. So the guys would always make fun of me because I'm a little bit. My knees go in a little bit because I'm lacking cartilage. So I don't know if that's cause it or what. Mm-hmm. But so they've always you know, and I didn't run. You know, everybody. I think starting in 1988 I, or 89, I stopped running because pitchers, we run poles. Uh, back in the day, part of your regiment was running. Mm-hmm. And so if you didn't run, the pitching coach would kind of look at you a little strange because that was part of it. Well, I stopped running because obviously I didn't have any cartilage and it started affecting me as a pitcher. I thought if I'm going to go out there and pitch nine innings, I don't need to be wasting and creating inflammation in my knees by running. So I started getting on the bike. I started going to the pool and all that kind of stuff. So so my whole career, you know, I wore knee braces and, and the guys obviously knew that and they knew I didn't run. And so they'd always give me a hard time. They'd make fun of me as I, you know, how I, how I walk or whatever. So then my first hit is an infield single that's in the hole between short and third. And so I, I took that as kind of bragging rights. Hey, you know, you guys are giving me a hard time, but I beat out my first my first big league hit. So then, um, so that was in San Francisco. That was a lot of fun. And, yeah. and then the next time I think I hit a, um, I think I hit a line drive over shortstop. Nice. So um, okay, but nice. uh, yeah, and, I, and that, I can't remember who that was off of. That was, but they both happened in New York, or when I was playing for the Mets on the same year in 97. So I had the batting title, so I beat out John Olrood, um, and, and then Mike Piazza, Hall of Famer, uh-huh. Ricky Henderson. So I led the team in hitting in 1997. I was two for three. And, you know, so I don't know how much more I could say, so guys can rag me all the time about being a pitcher, but, I mean, how many other guys led the team in hitting well, that's that reminds me. I uh, I remember being a little kid, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here. But I remember I got this. Um, I can't remember who made it, uh, but it was like a little. It looked like a little calculator, but it was like a, a baseball stats thing. So it had all the hist- history of baseball oh, like wow. statistics okay. in there. But if you looked at batting average, whoever had set this thing up, like it was just guys who had like one at bat in the big leagues. So there's a bunch of guys who were batting a thousand were like the all time batting average leaders. I'm like, well, this, even as a kid, I'm like, well, this, <laughs> somebody didn't put a lot of thought into this. That's right, this yeah. They did You'd all have this minimums. work. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I thought about that, so they were both during the same year, mm-hmm. two hits. 97. I, one of my, for one of the, my favorite weird baseball stats is uh, the Don Mattingly stat where he had, uh, six grand slams oh, yeah. in one season. I remember that. In, in 1987. Those were also the only grand slams of his career. They all happened in the same year. And he was on a home run tear where so many home runs over the course of so many consecutive games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Donnie Baseball was it's, phenomenal. He was one of my he was one of my players that I liked. And I got to face him, which was fun. He's one of the guys. Career, but he was, yeah. he's legit. That's just, I love those weird little, like, quirky baseball stats. I like do that, remember so. that season because that was a really unusual. Some guys don't go a whole career without a grand slam. I know. I know. I know. Then, then uh, we just had a stat 
the other day of Grand Slams under the age of, what, 23 or 21. There were a couple guys like uh, for the Nationals. What's his name? Is it uh, Segura or, or Soto? Soto had had he's like third on the list of most Grand Slams before the age of 21 or something like and that. And I'm not sure if it was him. It might be him. I'm not sure. No, it's, it's, was it, it him? Well, okay. They were talking about it on the broadcast. I thought Ozzy's it was got fun. quite a few. Yeah, also, and Ozzy yeah. was up there. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. It is amazing. But Grand Slams are one of those things that it takes more than just you hitting a home run. I mean, you got to have guys in front on yeah. base and just luck. opportunity. A lot of luck. Yeah. Right place, right time. Yeah. Right. Kind of like me getting a hit. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good place to stop, I think. Uh, well, thank you all to everybody for uh, for listening and for rating, reviewing, subscribing. Again, I was just looking at the reviews yesterday, and you all are so nice and so gracious not to, A, to even leave a review, but then to take the time to leave these well, like, well-written, well-thought-out, long reviews. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Um, it helps other people find the podcast, find the show. So keep listening, keep sharing, tell a friend. Um, we're working on some really exciting guests and things coming up for the podcast as we go through the second half of the season. So stay tuned for that. And uh, Greg, what do you got? So we we are getting approaching Alumni Weekend here pretty fast. Yes, so that's right. Dodger Series, August 16th through 18th. Just want to encourage everybody to come out for the parade on Friday, August 16th. That should a be lot pretty of fun. awesome. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna have a great lineup there. Chipper and Smoltzy and Glav and um, Frank Coor and um, Dana. I mean, we just got tons of guys that are going to come out uh, for that, which would be a lot of fun. We should have good 50 guys there each day. Saturday, Home Run Derby, August 17th, should be a lot of fun. And then on uh, Sunday, we'll do some pictures with the fans. We'll do autographs on Saturday, too, as well. But Sunday, we'll do pictures with the fans before the game. It's just going to be a great weekend. Got a great lineup of guys that are going to be here. So I just want to encourage everybody to, to uh, come on out and check us out. I've, is, the, is the parade going to go down Battery yep. Ave again? Yeah, we'll that's start so down cool. by, so cool. by Wahlburgers. Nice. And then we'll head on up through Bypass Bobby statue across from the Roxy and the orange deck and and we'll head on up and oh I tell you what the last two years we've done this we started it since we've been at SunTrust Park it's been one of the the highlights of alumni weekend the fans have been awesome they've come out they've lined the streets we announced the guys they're riding in cars the 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 alumni love it they feel all the love from from everybody, all the Brace fans that are here. It's just, it's a really cool thing. So the guys that have been to Cooperstown, I've been to Cooperstown, I've seen the parade. I've talked with Bobby Cox about it. I've talked with Glav and Smolty, and it rivals that parade in Cooperstown. It's very cool. I've been to, I've been out there helping cover it the first two years. One year, the first year I was set up like uh, in my apartment building, actually here in the Battery, because it overlooks the parade route. So I was helping like kind of do some video up there. And then last year I was walking around in the parade route on the Around, like getting all you guys as you were going by and it's it is so awesome the fans line the whole street the whole way up there and the crowd is it gets really huge there it seems like by the Roxy and uh, at the gates of SunTrust Park and it's it's fun so if you haven't done that before come on out and check it out it's so much fun or if you have done it before you already know how much fun it is and you'll probably be back so and do we have do we have the home run derby lineups yet or is working on that still no we've got got a pretty good lineup we're gonna have uh brian jordan dan ugla ryan klesko andrew jones 
Johnny Estrada, and Jeff Francoeur. Man, there's going to be some bombs in yeah. this one. All right. Yeah. I can't wait. I hope. Yeah. I hope are you, are you, are you pitching? They'll, they'll find out about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you pitching in the home I, run I, I've done that the last couple of years. Yeah. I might. Yeah, I probably okay. will, or I may let some of the other guys. I don't know. Okay. I don't want to get I, – I just – it's hard for me to – think that I'm serving up home runs. <laughs> right, right. So I, I don't do them a lot of service because I'm trying to I try to get them out. It's kind of like throwing batting practice. We as pitchers, it's just really hard to say, here, hit this. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. See how far you can hit this. Right. They love it, but it kind of hurts my ego. I, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> well, last year, the home run derby, we had to go to a, a playoff between, I think it was Avery and Frank Coor, if yeah. I remember right. Abe's still hurting from that. Well, he put on the show for what it's worth. It was worth it. So, so yeah, come on out and check out Alumni Weekend. All kinds of fun stuff going on all weekend. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And again, thank you as always for listening to Behind the Braves. For Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next time.